There is another dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between lamplighters and lightsabers, between science and fantasy, and it lies between the pit of Game Master's fears and the summit of their knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. This is a podcast we call Gaming and BS. Gaming MBS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. Who the heck did that intro, man? That would be our friend Nubis in Slovenia. Oh, damned. In uh-huh. where? Where's he at? Slovenia. Wow. Holy crap. Yeah, man. Nubis is like, he's all in. He's He played gonna... like four games at BSRCon. He's on the Discord say, almost guy, every day. That guy. Damn. Yeah, he's like what's probably a good seven hours, eight hours difference. I had a, yeah, wow. Yeah, that so, that was really cool. Yeah, Nubis. We've nice had some job. we've had some great like just no nonsense intros, some fancy stuff like that. This has been awesome. This is really cool. Thank you. That yeah. was very nice. Yeah, very very cool, man. Very cool. So, Sean, how the hell are you since I talked to you last? Doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. I lost a I lost a crown. One of my teeth <laughs> on, on Friday, your, so now you're yeah. no longer king. Well, I got it back. I found it. I had oh. it reinstalled. It's uh, now permanently. If it, now more re permanently, yeah. <laughs> but got that fixed. So that was that was entertaining. I tell you though, from a gaming perspective, I had um, had some good fun. My son Connor was he's active duty Air Force. He was up. And uh, he was able to get leave. I'm like, how the hell do you get leave, dude? There's like a thing going on. And he's like, ah, aha. My my department is fully staffed. We actually have like a couple extra people. And I was the only one who wanted off. So he had scheduled to, because he was going to come up and hang out. So I went to Evercon um, with my three kids, with three of my kids. So that was a blast. I ran uh, I ran two games, I ran Iron Shoes and um, at What Would You Do For Love uh, World of Darkness game. That was fun. And um, Ilana ran, and um, so that was really cool. AJ played a bunch. Connor played a bunch. I got to run games for my kids at the house here, so that was fun. And then I had um, a good opportunity to run for um, my friends again. Came back from our World of Darkness um, horror game that we're doing, so that was really cool. And then my buddy uh, Nick is kicking back off. He took a hiatus from his Star Wars D6 game, but that's coming back this Saturday. So tomorrow I've got some more World of Darkness to run here and then Star Wars on Saturday. So I'm kind of uh, been doing really good on the gaming front lately, man. It's been pretty good. Pretty damn good. How's it about you? I have two Forbidden Lands games going now, alternating weeks. One is going to be a four to six session arc. They just completed session two. Cool. So you're going to get a kick out of this, Brett. So, well, I should probably, t- I'll tell you off air. It's a little longer okay. of a story. But All right. The other, the other group is, is gone through a portal 
that has been found in the woods, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And so the, nice. the way it ended was one of the player characters, Cav's character, <laughs> closing the door to the portal uh, on as he's walked through. Boom. Where are they? You know. Are you enjoying running two different two different games with the two different campaigns with the same system? I do I am. It's a little it it Forbidden Lands I think gets off to a little rough start if nobody's played before and then it's even well, bring it up because you've got like the tradition. We all joke about the gamer or ADD, right? Like attention sure. deficit gamer disorder. Right. We, we joke about it as a thing within the hobby. Is like, oh, new shiny thing. Oh my god, look at this. Oh, squirrel. Oh my god, I really want this. And uh, I, I still, I, I no bullshit, man. I think it's really cool that you found that game. You enjoy the hell out of it so much that Sean Kelly can run two campaigns of the same game and not be not personally be bored. Well, right. Yeah. Because if you if you had like uh, I've got D and D tonight and uh, D and D game, that'd be you, right? right. <laughs> You'd be like ah, D and D plus D and D equals like, but because you like to, you like to mix it up a little bit, so this is kind of this is pretty neat. Yeah, and I could definitely see that if you haven't because of the procedural nature of that game, as you've explained it many times, I could definitely see until you get in that mood in the zone, like it's not. We talked about this the other day. Was you and I were where it's not um, describe your action and then roll the dice type of thing. It's it's like vice versa in a way. We like you roll the dice, get it, and then narrate the result type of thing. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's fun. It's. I was ta- talking to Alex today about it because he's a free league guy now, kind of, and so Alex Gamer, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, enjoying that, uh, and then wrapped up Feng Shui. Uh, okay. DM Kyle was nice enough to run that for um, Farty and Zagrave for us, and then his his brother was also involved. Um, it's it end it kind of had to rush the ending because we kind of had to wrap it up. Yeah, and Happens. so yeah, so it was. I'm, I I do want to run that game, and I do want to run one high octane single one shot. Like I don't want to expand. I have an idea in my head. I don't know if I'll execute on it. It's more like doing one shots in two and a half hours, and I don't know if that's the game to do it or not. But may, maybe that one is. But could be. I don't know. Yeah. So we'll see. And that that is that is it right now. So I. I gotta. I have to throw this in. So before I forget this, I want to bring it up so you can see right here. These two boxes up in the corner are called Epic Encounters, and I gotta find. Out, I'm gonna go grab them in a minute. Find who the hell does them. But I was at I was at Evercon, and one of the local game stores around here, Odin Games, had them set up. I'm like, huh, this is kind of cool. It's a five E box that comes with miniature or miniatures, a double sided map, well, you know, gridded out. And then an adventure booklet with like seeds and so I'm like, this is like a con game in a box. This is kind of cool. Pretty neat. So Susan's like, why don't you get one? I'm like, yeah, cool. I'll buy one. Yeah, what the hell? So I got the goblin one. I'm like, this is actually kind of cool. Got like a big flail snail, Emmett, mini, a bunch of cool goblin stuff. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. This is, this should be a really fun campaign to run for like my, my kids type of thing. Have minis and all that stuff. And I'm um, like, you know. I think this one's, t- yep, look at that. It ties into the Swamp Hydra. So I went and grabbed the Swamp Hydra one because it was on sale. 
and that's got a big fucking Hydra mini in it. Like, ooh, that's really cool. But they, um, they're pretty neat. I'll throw them in the, um, I'll throw a link in the, um, uh, the, the die roll for later. But they were, kind of, they're kind of cool. I'm pretty impressed with the, um, the quality of the minis. Tough, you know, plastic. They're either, you know, green. They're single color. You can paint them and you can do all that stuff. But I was really impressed with it. So that was kind of a, I like theater of mind as I've talked about on the show a lot, but every once in a while it's fun to get all, you know, gridded out and super tactical. And, um, one of the things that EJ likes to do with his buddies when he, when he'll have like a birthday party or some of the guys will come over and he wants to play a game. It's very, I have found that for playing D and D, especially to get people to really pay attention to what's going on, especially teenage kids and younger you start slapping minis on the table and everybody, everybody's staring at it because they want to see what's happening. Every time you move the minis, you drop a new one out or whatever it is. You get a lot of attention. <laughs> so these look pretty cool. Anyway, I think, I think that I might be. For, I didn't want to forget that. That might be from Steam Forged oh, Games. I think it is. I think it is. Is uh, I think Michael mentioned that. Uh, he says he's got four box sets himself. The other yeah, thing, Steam Forge, Steam Forge games, yep, Steam yep, Forge yep. games, and then uh, yeah, it's it's just cool stuff. This Thursday, because we have a play, we're a player down, player down, player down, player down. We have a player down. Um, Black Hack, my first go. Play, yeah? I'm playing. I'm Wayne. Clever name Wayne is running Black Hack for us. Us three guys. Mm. So let me know how you think. What you think about that? Because that I ran. Uh, I ran Black Hack the first version of it years ago at this point, still at the old house before I moved up here when AJ was much younger. <clears throat> Excuse me. I ran it for a number of his friends for a little birthday party and they loved it fast, easy. And they just, they totally enjoyed the hell out of it. I haven't pulled it out since then, but let me know what you think about it. Wayne is using a, what the hell is in the name of it? It's a deck. It's like the, the, not the conflict deck. I don't know the dilemma deck. I don't know what it is. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But you you flip it and there's you know on the card you roll or whatever. <clears throat> He's having us roll a d twenty and it's coming up with options. So it's it's you know one line sentence and then another one and then it's putting them all three of them together and then he's like you have to tell me how you got in this situation and it's not oh, and, yeah, yeah. and start off with it being not your fault. You blame, oh, yes. you blame the warrior or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. right now it's something to the effect of, uh, shoot, po- poisoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're strapped to an altar and <laughs> I can't remember the third one. Oh, this is going well. This well, also that's how sounds, it's going to like, also... I don't know if he's, that's how he's going to start it or what, but yeah, yeah. So this this also sounds suspiciously like Stephen Dragon's Bond fan fiction. <laughs> Poison yeah, strapped right. to the altar. I don't know if I like. I don't know if I like where this is going. <laughs> so it'll be fun. Thursday night one shot. We'll see how that goes. That's awesome. Uh, oh, so speaking of, I want to throw this out there. So Stefan and I, because I had to back out of uh, BS for because of my mom, so took care of that stuff. All going well and all that. Um, he got a hold of me and said, man, I really want to get in your Avalon game. I got sold out, blah, blah. I'm like, you know what, Stefan? I need to run an Avalon game for you because he and I have been talking about it offline for a long time. So I don't know what your schedule looks like, Sean, but I'm going to find some dates that are good for him 
I'm going to reach out to you and a couple other folks. I'm going to see if I can pull together a either one shot or a short campaign or something. I think I can do that. So I'm not think I'm going to do that because I promised Stefan I would. So I want to make that happen. And uh, I thought it'd be really cool if I get you at least to to play with us. We'll sure. have on something, something. So sure. anyway, more to come on that. I'll hit you up with that and uh, probably reach out to a few other folks. But I think that should be a good time. Sounds fantastic, dude. So that's in the works, as they say. Um, anything else coming up? New, different? I'm not going to GaryCon. I assume you're not going either. I am I, not. I don't even remember when the hell it is. I lost track of it. Next weekend, maybe or next weekend. weekend? After. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Strapped to the altar year. of something best unnamed. That's the that's the one thing. Yeah. They said it would all be forgotten if we succeeded, and the poison is already <clears throat> in our system. Wow. This is the this is a snake this is a snake Blizzard fantasy movie. I gotta yeah. say, if if like we talk about prep and you know how much it can be kind of a pain and then the players go off in a different direction. I think this I want to get this deck from Wayne and come up with some pretty freaking cool ideas. Bam bam bam. Yeah. So anyway, sometimes that's, that's I've, what we're I've looking talked at. to other people I've, I've throw this out there. I've Thanks, talked to other people who use I think it's either called it's not my fault or something on those lines. I've heard people mention that or other right. starter things like that, campaign ideas. And sometimes it, it even says if it's you modified, it's not my fault from Evil okay. Hat. Yep. Even if you don't use it as an improv at the table in front of people, right? I right. have heard people and seen people do this where they lay, well, I shouldn't say I've seen them do it. They've told me directly that I've grabbed cards or something similar to that and flipped through them until I got a really cool idea laid out in front of me. And then I build my campaign based on that. Sure. Like, oh, this sure. sounds like fun. This sounds like a great opener. I wonder what'll happen. Yeah. Type of thing. So neat. Sean awesome, needs a little priming of the pump. <clears throat> no, dude, I think we all do, quite honestly. I will have, this is a topic for another show perhaps, but I've had a number of different things like in my head, like, ooh, I want to do, I want to do, oh, well, how about this, what about this? Something that'll get me thinking about an adventure thing is like Stefan saying, hey, I really want to play an Avalon game with you. We've been talking about it for a while. What do we have to do to get that going? Like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So I'm looking for dates and stuff with him, and I'm thinking, ooh, what would be a good adventure? What would be fun? Right, so that kind of gets it going. My buddy Lenny is redoing his basement in his house. He said, "Hey, when this is done, you want to run a first edition D and D game or something just for like me and Alpha, really small, like a two player game." I said, "You got it. I already have an idea for that." But as soon as he told me, I'm like, "Huh? What would I do? What would I do given that that limitation or those parameters? These players they want to be D and D. What do I do? What do I do?" So it's it. it Inspiration comes in weird places. And if you can use a deck of cards to kind of kickstart it, fuck yeah, do that shit, man. All right, that's enough of that. Tangenting. Blah, blah, blah. Random encounter, shall we? Oh, yeah. Random encounter. All Let's right, do random it. Encounter. Uh, random encounter. Segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. Got a voicemail from David White, which is long overdue. So I'm glad David has been patient waiting for us. So I'm just going to, I think it's relatively short so here we go all right brett sean this is davy white from canada i just wanted to say thanks for all your podcasts and everything else a little bit sad to hear you're switching to a bi-weekly but totally get it and uh hey we can't have christmas uh, 52 times a year can we sean i just really wanted to say thanks for your notation video or your notion video it's uh 
It's been fantastic. I've started compiling stuff that's buried in different notebooks and everything else, and I just wanted to say thanks again. Okay, take care, guys. Lots of love, and uh, we'll listen to you later. Bye. That's incredibly flattering, David. You're Thank very you, welcome, David. Thanks for the voice. And I'm gonna mail. I'm gonna add on a little uh, pat in the back here out loud to Sean too, dude. I think you have um, those how-to videos you've done. Yeah, a couple you've done. I think they're fucking aces, man. Oh, thanks, buddy. I didn't I do. even know I've, you watched I've, them. I've, I've seen them. And I'm like, dude, that guy can teach. I am like, not this is- a Matt Coville by any means. No, but you but you obviously you're picking a topic that you have a passion for. Like, hey, this is how I'm using Notion. I do this. I do this. I do this. Right, and. Um, it, the play by post stuff you you threw up the, uh, oh fuck yeah that's pretty that's that's pretty cool that's all and arrogant i just had to ask a couple questions let that guy no r- but it's it's cool on. though to have you to have you pull that stuff together and tackle a very specific because one of the things that we don't we've talked about this for this show we've talked about doing like hey how tactical do we want to get and sometimes we have an idea like the last couple of shows i've thrown out a few things and i'm like i don't know if anybody wants us to get tactical as to the one, two, three, how do I actually do, 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 right? And sometimes those shows can be, to my opinion, can be kind of boring. Or if nobody wants that, they want the higher concept. Like, oh, that's the thing he's talking about. Yeah, I think I could do that. Let me get some good listener feedback and so on. But I think you're doing a really cool thing, man. So proud of you. Thanks, Brett. Stuff. Hey, appreciate oh, that, and, buddy. No bullshit, man. That's good. That's very right. cool. Cool. All right. You know what? What do we got next here? Oh, we got a... a Message from Phil. Why don't you read Phil's? I'll let you do that. All right. Start. All right. Phil comments on motivation and reliability. Let me see if this works. Nope, that's not going to work either. I'm just checking something here. Oh, fantastic. Uh, mo- motivation, believability, and immersion. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome hearing how your vase in game is going, Brett, and that you've been able to use it as an escape from trying times. You are so right about the simplicity of the system. I'm running it for baddie, uh, buddies, not baddies. Not Bad, baddies. Baddies would be bad. Run That's it, awesome. Running it for buddies. <laughs> Friends close, baddies closer. That's, like that's it, right. love it, keep it up. <laughs> Who have limited experience with RPGs outside of D&D and Mothership? We debated between Call of Cthulhu and Vasin, and I think this version of the Year Zero engine mechanics appeal to them. It's not as crunchy as Forbidden Lands or Coriolis, Figuring out the dice pools is quick and easy. I'm not a big, uh, not a big VTT fan with the automated rolling, which keeps the action moving. Um, the setting was a draw. You've got the site, so you know mythical things exist. Those things are pissed off at the way the world is progressing. They're strange but not unknowable horrors that will leave your PC dead or insane, and it's your job to figure out what's wrong and try to fix it. Uh, I like you, like you mentioned, the fear mechanics are great. Fail a fear test and the player gets to choose from four options for how they react for players who hate losing agency, allowing them to choose gets them to really buy into how they'll role play the encounter. <clears throat> exactly. hundred percent. Hopefully your kids will want to continue building up the castle. Headquarters is another amazing aspect of the game to see it develop and how you as the GM can use that to build new mysteries is a ton of fun. If you're a new gamer, the book does an amazing job explaining how to run and design your own mysteries, possibly better than any I've seen in any other book. And it's well laid out with brilliant artwork. I dare say it's the best game produced by Free League at the moment. 
I look forward to hearing your review. Yes, I'm definitely going to. I'm That's in the hopper. I want to get another session under my belt. The kids and I have got one more for the current storyline that we're doing. And um, I'll tell you, Phil, everything you're saying in there, I absolutely buy. It, it's, it's really, really cool. There's some great functions, features of it. I mean, the layout, the how you do, the how you do it, especially when you're talking about. I'll get into it more when I when I talk about it in more detail. But when you're talking about creatures that are not, they're not stat blocks in the traditional D and D type of sense, or a number of other games where you're like, hey, this is the this is a goblin, this is a fairy, this is a thing, this is a troll, a giant. Um, the flavor text is so critical for all of those things to understand that because it's a lore game. It's about understanding the lore, figuring out the lore of the creature, and then how you utilize that, how your characters and you utilize that to figure out and solve the problem. It's wicked good. It's really well put together. And it's definitely not for like little bitty kids who are looking for like cute fuzzy fairy games. Right. It's not for them. Right. It's, it's not for them. So if there's you're some dad stuff. shopping there's, for your kids. Yeah, there's some there's some if you do it, you're going to have to editorialize uh, away some of the, the more evil bits. But yeah, <sighs> fucking good game, though, man. A lot of fun. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you for writing that in, too. I appreciate that. Let's see here. Who's up now? Oh, the warden comments on the same topic, motivation, believability, and immersion. To answer Brett's question on the show, I did stop to think about this one. Um, I asked him um, and the last time we, we uh, he wrote into us. I'm like, what the hell do you mean? <laughs> type of thing. And he said, mainly because it's rare for me to be a player. It's been two freaking years since playing in any RPG until this past weekend. So I thought about this from the point of view of attending a con where I'm very inclined to try new things. No, not those new things. Uh, maybe I do like to experiment at cons, but it's a different discussion. Yeah, Warden, we got to talk about that offline. Offline from here. Anyway, um, with that in mind, I know the system is the first appeal for me. If the game's mechanics support the underlying theme or themes, I'm much more inclined uh, to sign up because then I don't have... Uh, to place all my trust on the GM, a stranger. Unless I have a direct reference from someone I know and trust, the system becomes my assurance that these kinds of themes have been treated with respect and responsibility. It's been tested at multiple tables with multiple GMs and holds mustard. But it also provides everyone else at the table with options to address and incorporate these themes into various aspects of gameplay. Well, that's not the case 100% of the time. Games built to support these themes tend to provide mechanical tools for everyone at the table. That means these themes aren't just things that will happen to our characters. We'll also be able to actively address it, uh, which also includes safety tools. Well, this is where my answer becomes blurry, because while safety tools are defined as being in absolute state, meaning they work uh, the same at every game, they're completely dependent on the GM. When the GM screws up a rule, it's because immediate uh, becomes immediately apparent at the table. Screwing up the safety tools can be a slow burn until the table is completely engulfed in flames. Yeah, I've seen that type of thing happen, man. Uh, the GM with casual attitude towards safety tools in games gets uh, a hard pass on from me, regardless of the game's mechanics. Those who shit on safety tools and want to play a game with underlying mature themes is dangerous, in my opinion. I spoke with a backer for a game that planned on stretch goal to create a game about the AIDS epidemics in the 1980s. He railed against the use of safety tools for a game this hardcore and pulled the whole, quote, never had a problem in 20 years of playing, unquote, crap. That kind of GM is dangerous, and the type who will pull a rape scene out of their hat for a game on kids on bikes and wonder why the backlash. So my answer is, it depends. And Sean mentioned something about BSR starting podcasts. Funny you should mention that. I'm on a, about to launch a podcast with a good friend and co-conspirator, Daniel Delise, 
I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, it's called Covenstead. And it talks about games, magic, and how they intersect, how paganism has shaped the hobby, and what role players have in common with modern day witches. We're hoping to drop our first episode soon. It might be Dude, da- okay, it so, maybe Danielle Delisle, but I'm not sure. Either. Delisle? Oh my God. I, I don't know. Delisle. It depends on. Mm, I probably screwed that whole thing up. That's so, okay. Warden, give me a pronunciation key next time, man. I'm terrible at this. Um, you had some great shit in there, dude, as usual. Honestly, all of our BSers have such good stuff. Um, thank you about the podcast. And, dude, of course, when you drop an episode or your pilot, you send Sean Brett link. We put link in show and we tell people what you're doing. I think what's interesting that um, I love well, the cool things that happens on the show, for me anyway, Sean and I articulate something. Or we try to articulate. We kind of have this free-forming conversation. And a lot of the BSers do this great thought process, post us, and go, hmm, how do I clearly pull something together? And you guys do a, sometimes a much better job of explaining, describing, or even encapsulating your own feelings and approaches. And we're no exception here. And I think, well, the, the cool things that I, I pick it out of what you have here, apart from not only the kind of the asshole GM component of it, but, um, <coughs> excuse me, there's something cool about knowing if a game system, it does a lot of different things. You know, the system rewards a certain style of play, blah, blah, blah. And if a game mechanics are supporting a th- certain underlying theme, like Vaston, for instance, or Alien, or or any game, you, you pick one. If it's doing a, a good job at that, then there is an, a certain amount of GM skill still comes into play, player still comes into play, all that stuff. But there's a level of, we're here to play Call of Cthulhu. Right. And if you show up at a Call of Cthulhu game and um, you're kind of expecting a certain tone and atmosphere and, you know, how, how it's all going to flow together and you don't, you're hoping the game master, he, she, they understand how to put together a good story or they know how to, they know the rules appropriately and so on and so forth. But you're not necessarily going, boy, I really hope that they can make this GURPS game do this thing. And I'm picking on GURPS just because why not? But, you know, you, you're not looking at it saying, boy, I really hope this works out because like it's a vasing game man this is what it's about done it's a i've called it a curated experience you know sometimes that and i don't mean that to come across as like negative or kind of like i'm writing it off or something or thinking that it's lesser in some way but i think there's there's some power in that having that written out and to a lot of points that the warden has there it just really says hey this is how the themes and the various components and parts are going to go into gameplay because this is how it works you know, to our, your example of um, of uh, Forbidden Lands, right? Has all these procedural components, pieces, and parts in order to help facilitate that style of play. And you know when you sign up for it, hey, the mechanics are going to back me on this. So that's kind of cool. That's a good way to put it, Ben. I appreciate you putting that in there. Anything you want to add to that, Sean? No. No? That's good stuff, though. Yes. It was good stuff. Nothing to yeah. add. And we've said this before, we do um, pimp other BS or stuff. So if you've got products, podcasts, other things you think are cool or that you're involved in, that's what die rolls for, man. Throw it at us if we will be happy to help support you. You guys supported us for this long. Least we can do is give you guys shout outs as necessary. So absolutely. Yeah. You ready, man? Yeah, man. I'm ready. Let's do it. Main topic. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. What happened? An alarm? I think my you hear it? Yeah. I think my vacuum cleaner is about to go off. <laughs> oh, up. you have a you have a Roomba or something? 
I do, but I stopped the timer for Monday nights. Oh, like it shouldn't funny. be doing anything. So yeah. So Anyways. quick, uh, quick Roomba story. So my buddy oh, uh, Alpha Roomba has a Roomba in the basement. Is is Roomba story time? <laughs> he has a Roomba and is uh <clears throat> or one of those type of little automatic vacuum disky things in his basement where we're gaming. We're gaming and Lenny's having a bad day. He goes, fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. And he's tossing D20s in the corner and pretty soon we hear click. Brrr. He's like, oh shit. <laughs> it's pushing D20s across the floor. It's hilarious. So, I don't know. It was funny because we're like, stop it. You know, he's like, and Elf is like, just stop it. My first instinct was to like kick the vacuum, like just kick it away from the night. So, oh my God, it's an expensive piece of equipment. If I boot it, what happens? If I, ooh. Uh, so I'm like gently trying to tap it. You know, it was just. It yeah, I got favorite. a I got a Roomba knockoff. I'm not. I don't have the uh, 700 hour Roomba or whatever. I don't are. know what if it's. Yeah. I just call it. A Roomba. It's, like, cheap, it's like all wrenches are crescent wrenches, right? You know? Right. Yeah. Carry on. All right, let's go. Not main topic. Main topic. Bet you didn't think you're getting a Roomba story tonight. Hey, add on, man. That's what you get for every other week. What are we talking about this week, Brat? So this is about lore and trying to and helping your players engage with it. Matt Cole had a couple different videos on it, and uh, one of them is engaging your players. Got a link in the die roll for you. Um, <clears throat> but there's an important piece he calls out there. And I thought, oh, yes, yes, Matt, uh, wisdom. I like that. That's smart. And I've been thinking about it for a while. I'm like, do I do that? Am I doing the smart thing that I think Mr. Colville brought up? And I came to realize that I think I am. And uh, so here's the deal behind it. And at the end of the day, if you want your players to engage in the lore setting, all that cool world building stuff, even if it's a packaged campaign setting, whatever it happens to be, Forbidden Lands, if you want them to engage with the Rust Brothers, or you want them to care about the Blood Mist or whatever it is, um, <clears throat> you need to make that stuff, the pieces of the lore, part of the solution to their problems. Um, it has to be relevant to the adventure. So, <clears throat> if... One thing, and Matt said this on, the, on his video, which I thought was a, a clever little phrase. If they can solve everything with their character sheet, they don't need your setting. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. I think it's kind of cool. Whoa. I like that. I like that statement. So, because <clears throat> in a game, like, let's just let's just pick on the, the big gorilla, right? So D&D, play in a D&D game, whatever your, whatever your flavor of it, right? And Fifth I'm edition through, rocks. <clears throat> it does. It's a damn good game. Sean so play, loves so fifth edition. Five. <laughs> so you're playing you're playing D and D, and um, whether the adventure takes place in Greyhawk or Front Realms, blah 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 blah. Unless the lore of that area, right? Unless it really matters, you know, some of the um, the old modules were very much kind of plug and play. You could put them almost anywhere. There are pieces and parts where the overall setting. It, it doesn't mean anything to you as a player. So this is a thing I, I learned with my Avalon setting, quite frankly, is that if I put together my Avalon game and I run an adventure where it's a monster hunt and so forth, but the fact that it's taking place in Avalon and not in Lankmar and not in Greyhawk City or not in Waterdeep or any other myriad of big city fantasy worlds, if the pieces and parts of it don't quote unquote feel like Avalon, it's not going to work. When I first started doing that, I kept thinking trappings, man, I need trappings. I need to make sure that it feels that way. So I would go way overboard on descriptions of, you know, crumbling towers and those streets falling in on each other and so on. 
And I learned that that was kind of like okay to start the game with. That set the tone. Like, ooh, yeah, the, the twisting streets, the buildings leaning in on each other, the lamplighters, the, 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 the grim, dark appearance. Good, we got that. Okay, cool, Brett, that's great. But once the action starts, once the adventure actually kicked in, if the players didn't need to go and interact with the neighborhood, right? I built Avalon so the neighborhoods are important. You want to deal with it. You want to deal with the people there. You want to understand the parts, the guilds, all those pieces. If the adventure doesn't take that stuff into into play, it doesn't matter. I could literally put that adventure in Waterdeep or anywhere else, and it really doesn't much matter. So, and I think it's one of the, one of those things where sometimes we we think about the lore of the setting, like, boy, I really wish people would um, would engage. Matt talks about this on this video. Like, I really wish people would engage with my setting. People will tell him, and uh, he he's like, I think they really mean you know engage with the lore. But if you don't need the lore to solve your problems, why would you? So again, for an Avalon instance, if you're going around, you're trying to find something, you can't find an answer, you really desperately need this answer. You talk, tried to talk to five people who should have it, and all of them are dead. They won't talk to you. Something's going on. And then I have an NPC, a storyteller, Blind Simon, says something. Well, you could always ask the lamplighters. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Now you're engaging with my setting. You're engaging with the lore of the world because you got to go, what's it about lamplighters again? Oh, yeah, they know everything. Always for a price, though. We got to do something. We got to get involved here. How, how are we going to engage with this thing? You know, I've made it a way for you to solve your problem. That's not on your character sheet. Nowhere on the character sheet does it say, you know, lamplighter lore or like, how, I'll go talk to such and thus. Um, I've also found that in, um, <laughs> that in game systems like 5e, for instance, again, if the game system has a lot of skills, depending who I'm playing with, uh, my son Connor was classic for this this last time, and AJ had to pull him aside when I was running a D and D for him. He's like, Connor, that that the skill the skills aren't going to solve this for you. You have to tell Dad where you're looking because hmm. you're trying to search a room. He's like, I search, I get a fifteen. I'm like, Yeah, it's just, yeah, you there's interesting stuff here, which really not kind of pin. What are you trying to find? You know, and Connor's getting frustrated. AJ leans over, and goes, Dude, just tell Dad exactly what you're looking for, and then he'll tell you to roll the dice. Oh. Click, click, click. And I kind of rang, rang with him a little bit. Like, oh, that's what I have to do. Narrate a little bit. Then I get my die roll. Okay, cool. I got it. And um, because that, it just engages him with that, you know, it causes him to engage with the setting. And the setting in that case was just the room. He has to give a shit about the room. The dungeon he's in. The little town he's in. Whatever it is. So, anyway, uh, before I devolve into just a complete kind of fanboying lecture here. What do, what do you think about the, the premise here that the lore being relevant to the adventure is how you get people to engage with it? What do you think about that? Is it, I mean, on the face of it, it totally makes sense because I'm, I'm like, I can't just get people like, did you read my book? Well, you should go read the Avalon book I wrote and then come back and play my game with me. That's, that's not going to work all the time. Not everybody's going to want to sit down and read a bunch of lore, you know? So I think that it's, I, I, you're on to something for sure. Mm -hmm. hey, hey, Brad, I think you're on to something. That's awesome. You know. Took almost 400 episodes, but I'm on to something finally. Well, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Hey, that's good. It's getting there. I think that that is really bright. Um, that. <laughs> so the flip side is. Mm. I am not. I got away from the players needing to know 
So the conundrum I have is the players buying the campaign book and reading the campaign book, and now they know everything about the setting. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Now, I know that you would probably agree that that's maybe good or bad, who knows, with this particular topic, but that there are ways for them to interact with the setting regardless of whether or not they have read anything about the campaign setting itself. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that a lot of times, my experience anyway, when someone has read all the stuff about, so I was running my Greyhawk game, for instance, yeah. right? And um, somebody said, Ayas, is it Ayus or Ayas? What is it? What is it? And then he's like, well, actually, in the book, it specifically states it's Ayus is how it's pronounced. However, just so you know, Ayus is up here, blah, 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 blah. And he rattled off a whole bunch of lore about Greyhawk. And uh, Nick goes, holy fuck, I didn't know any of that. Do we need to know that? And then he looks him dead in the eye and goes, that's just what I'm telling you. But everything I just told you is like like just high-level backdrop. I don't know if that applies at all to what the shit that Brett's throwing at us right now. Nick went, ah, okay, cool. That's just, that's like window dressing. That's that's the color of the walls. It's kind of neat that the walls, like Ekru or eggshells, they're just white. Great, I got that. So they use that kind of as like, it was a neat little backdrop piece, right? Does that, could we use that knowledge to wedge it into our current problem? No, threw it out, right? Um, but a, what would happen though, is they would go along and they would encounter something and they'd be like, huh, this is how the dwarves are acting or how these elves are acting or how this, something's going on. And Lenny would say, I think that's kind of how it works around here, right? Or, or somebody says, is this what they always do? He's like, I don't know, man. This is, well, this is what we're facing right now. We should figure out what this means right now. And that was the tone that was going on. Well, they had a lot of setting lore as a group. What it came down to is like, okay, but how does it apply to this adventure, this exact campaign, the stuff that's going on in front of us? And instead of trying to use their knowledge of the setting to override me or prove that they, they could delve into the old... Um, you know, encyclopedia and pull out the answer. They had that knowledge and said, well, I think my character would know X. And can I use that and apply it to this particular instance to see if we could gain maybe an advantage in this conversation or something along those lines? Does that make sense? Kind of, it was that, That's kind of how I saw good use of people who had pretty decent lore. Um, just in general. But they were still looking at the the adventure itself saying we have to be honest about what's going on here because Brett could be changing something. Something could be different. Why is this behaving? Yes, it's breaking a condition of the lore. Perhaps, you know, the goblins are acting strangely or the orcs are doing something different or I've never heard of this before. But they had to enact with what was going on in the adventure and pick that apart. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. One of one of the things Mr. Stockton says is that um, he mentions in, it, it may not be the lore is the real driver, but the interests being the driver and then how the lore relates to those interests. Yes. That's or, or where they want to yeah. learn more can be that driver, um, which I get and probably – so I, uh, I would probably uh, agree with that. 
So a number of years ago, I built this setting, um, Anorak, and I had this huge fucking, I think I still have my, I do, I know I still have my big ass <coughs> hex map I draw with a buddy of mine ages back. It's like, fills most of my like floor. It's gigantic. It's a big ass world we made. And one of the things that I wanted to get people to see some of the cool features that we built, like, hey, there were these gargoyles here that were actually good creatures. And there were these, there's this weird, um, below ground like an inverted uh, tower a uh, library that was headed up by a lich he had no concept that and he didn't really care that he was a lich he was just he was lawful good by the rules and um but he just by excuse me by alignment approach but he just wanted to organize things and if, if you brought up the fact he pushed him the fact he was a lich he'd get pissed at you because he's like i don't really you know but it was, just, it was an idea i don't want to be an, called a lich i mean exactly even it was if I idea. was one, I don't. It seems very derogatory. There's an idea I pull out in a little Dragon magazine. I think it's actually Dragon One Thirty Eight, which is the first dragon I ever per personally purchased. Anyway, point is, it was just an idea I had there, but it was like a cool little feature thing. Ooh, go to this dungeon. I really wanted people to see the the Lich, who was the uh, librarian in this cool, funky library. Nobody would go there on purpose, though, unless the adventurer told them. You know where you need this answer. This mysterious answer is probably only found in the great arcane library of, you know, blah, blah, blah. Huh, where's that? It's down here. Interesting. Then they go there. And that's a piece I think is kind of cool about, like, um, I know some people have had beefs with, like, Rhyme and the Frostmaiden. But I was kind of looking through that because I, I think I may come to play between my son and my buddy Lenny's kid. And um, I might run a campaign of that for those guys over the summer. But looking at that, like, one of the cool things. Good time to run it, by the way. That would be a good time. Summer, <laughs> winter. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, one of the cool things about it, though, is that I think, um, and, and I really think Ravenloft, the Curse of Strahd, did a good job of this, is that the setting, the lore of the setting matters to how you solve the problems in Ravenloft. When I played through it, that it felt like I had to understand. I needed to delve into things in the lore of the Ravenloft world. Because if I didn't do that, my character sheet wasn't going to get me out of every jam. And I think if the character sheet can, well, I just roll Arcana. What do I know? I got a 20. I got a 35 Arcana. I got a 15 Arcana. What do I get? You know, that type of thing happens. Um, because you, players will get stuck at something. And they look at their character sheet like, I'm stuck. Look at your character sheet. Do I have any magic items that could solve this problem? No. Do I have any spells? No. Do I have any skills? Ah, skill tree. Ah, yes, yes, yes. What do I have here for abilities? Ah, I have arcana. I have religion. I have heraldry. I have super heraldry. I've got double arcana or whatever the fuck your list of shit is. And it's very tempting for players and game masters to default to that list, right, as a way to dispense lore. Ah, yes, you've made your arcana check. And that means you know that in the far north, um, History, 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 Lord Ump, Lord Ump, Lord Ump. And that is why the goblins are wearing red crests today. Got it. Whoopty fucking do, right? It's just it, it's a weird I anyway, when I used to do that a lot. Where it asked for the, the skill check and I do like this big lore dump. When now the skill check is like, you know where the answer is. The answer is in the inverted library. The answer is this person. You've heard of Samuel the Sage, and Samuel lives over here in Hills Pass. Or you think it has something to do with X and there's three places that could be. 
and basically using that to drive people around. When I ran Avalon um, for you, uh, you and the Third Floor Wars crew, I tried to make it so that you guys had to interact with the, player, with the NPCs where they were in the city, the personalities, because I like it to be a very personal type of adventure. And so to do that, every time you met an NPC, every NPC has a name, a job, something about them. It's kind of a noir type of thing. And again, though, you're going to interact with the lore of that setting simply by knowing that this person is the middle daughter from this guy, and that guy seems to be in trouble. You're in, that's lore. That's lore about the neighborhood or just that particular piece. So I think, Sean, that's the other thing I wanted to think about is like taking lore instead of it being world building and really scaling it down just to the adventure itself, the dungeon you're in, right? Thinking, thinking about it from that perspective, you can, you can narrow it down. If this dungeon has a theme, like, okay, huh, I've been paying attention to this, and it's a funhouse dungeon. I can tell because it's wacky, inflatable, flailing, arm flailing, tube band, bullshit, craziness around here. Got a bouncy house. You know, being a bouncy house, you know. Does that make sense, though? I'm worried. It doesn't have to be huge. It could be kind of a, it doesn't have to be all encompassing like world lore. It could just be like local, very specific type of lore as well. And you interact with that as a way to solve your problems. I think that's a big, I think that's, I think that's really helpful for people to give a shit about the world that their characters are in. Makes that secondary world believable. Yes. I think it does, but I think it also helps. The, the fortunate thing that I'm running into with Forbidden Lands is that whether the players have read the lore, if you will, or not, mm-hmm. may or may not matter until it does. I will explain. Yes, please do. So you could read the book and go, oh, okay, yeah, great. So I know everything about the history. I know about all the kin, which are what the races, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then Sean runs it, and he might run it and dump it on its head. But as they proceed through the game with their, like what Greg would point out, like their interests, then they will, it'll become more clear. Or if it is something that is is kind of, imp- I don't know, imperative might be a strong word, but it's pertinent to the situation at hand, then it might be, quote unquote lore check because one of the things that I think we also and I agree like it's very easy to go give me a lore check Archana check yep 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 and then you just you dump on them so I think it's easy to do that I think a lot of game masters probably do it I don't think it's a wrong way to do it necessarily oh no no it's just just, this is another tool that's all it is just a different approach I find it um to convey information that the player character should know, but the mm. players may or may not. And even if the players do, it's more confirming that in the game itself. So it's like you come across the goblin cave, brawl. You guys know or have heard that goblins, you know, are nocturnal. They are light sensitive. They don't, yep. you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that makes sense. They then could take that information, which is part of the setting, this is what yes. you're going towards, 
and use that to determine in the daylight whether they should do something because they know they're standing at the foot of a goblin cave. So do they go in during the day? Do they go in during the night? Do they, I mean, they will make conclusions based on that information that they get from quote unquote the lore, right? Mm. That I think you're referring to, which I think yep. is right. The fantastic, you know, you're right. So I think that's the deal. But I think what some game masters fall into, some, not all, is they will, they have this, it's kind of like, I have a story to tell, let me sto- let me tell it. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things they do is they start dumping all this stuff that isn't relevant to the situation that the player characters are in necessarily, but they think it's really cool because it's the world that they're building. It's kind of like, hey, I'm going to, hey, I'm going to. I'm going to create my own uh, world, um, uh, my own homebrew. It's a big world. I'm going to start with the deities yep. and the continents and all this and mm-hmm. this and that. Mm-hmm. And it's really about like, well, I don't know. What's over the other side of this freaking hill? Yeah, like, there's a... Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. who gives a shit about all that stuff? I, tell you, I you have need never the, been out of the shower. Yeah. Exactly. I haven't left here yet. Right. So one well, of the cool things I think happens there is that when you do um, is my perspective is this helps me do mini lore dumps and maybe that's a good way to think about this when the lore helps you solve your media problem or gives you like hey I need to go talk to Bremen the blacksmith because I just found out that Bremen used to be a member of the thieves guild huh interesting so you go talk to Bremen and Bremen goes ah yeah thieves guild ah bunch of bastards they cut my mother's throat blah 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 oh okay i learned a bunch right there like okay bremen doesn't like him they cut his mother's throat they seem bloodthirsty horrible people Mm, interesting interesting okay so there's um there's stuff you can learn you can people are learning as they're going in but it's like in properly uh how do i say this it's um more naturally feeling lore because if i give you a great big handout or a book and say read this so you can understand the Forbidden Lands. That read this, you can understand Basin. That's too much. They don't want all that shit. Players Nobody don't wants want to because if they were, if they were gonna, shit. a lot of times, if nothing else, I don't. I love lore. I've talked about this before. I, I would love to read this stuff. I just don't have a lot of fucking time. Right. So when I sit down, it's like, look, I don't know everything there is to know about Star Wars. Nick, I trust you, but I'm going to pay attention to what's going on around me. I go, look, what we know is this. So let's act on what we know. And let's let the lore of the environment that we're learning lead us to the next pieces and parts. And Nick does a great job where we'll find something. We're trying to figure out this mystery. We need a clue where we're trying to drive something. Our characters have pieces and parts that he's dropped on us. Like, that's interesting. How do I get more? I got to go to Coruscant. Guess that's where we're going. I go to Naboo. Guess that's where we're going. You know, whatever. He's given us bits and pieces of lore that if we're interested in it, we can go follow up on it. And um, you don't necessarily need this deep, full-blown lore piece. I don't want to dump all of like, hey, this is everything I've ever written or thought about Avalon uh, on you at the start of a campaign or you have one shot or whatever it is. It's too much. Nobody cares. They want to know what's the neighborhood like, what's this, what's this. And as they're going through the adventure and because the adventure is tied to the lore of that local area, right? With potential to, to go out and uh, drag you around to other places. But I really do think that the, um, one of the things that really helps me 
especially with their skill checks and so forth, is the characters need to interact with the lore. They need to interact with the setting in a non-dirally way, right? It's not like one die roll to, to search the room, right? You need to interact with the setting. You need to interact with, oh, I got to go talk to Bremen the blacksmith. I have, was told the inverted library is the place where the answers are. I was told that I need to go talk to the elf king who lives in the Forbidden Forest. You know, if, if there's no reason for them to ever go to the Forbidden Forest and see the cool elven world that you built there, or this elven society that you'd like to showcase or have part of the adventure, they're never going to go there unless there's part of their quest that drives them there, right? To get their answer. Right. And that's... um. It's interesting though, but I, I um, when I ran when I ran my Avalon game at Evercon, I ran Iron Shoes. So there's this red cap spoiler that's causing problems, and people got to figure it out. And all the and I had three players, and um, the three of them were like, "Okay, what do we know? We know this. Who do I know in the neighborhood? I know that. Okay, let's go get this answer from this person." And the way I explained it to them, like the neighborhood matters. This is why you care. This is what you're up to. This is what you're, you know, going to solve this problem. They, they're piecing it all together. Great. Got it. Okay, Brett, we're cool. But they dove into under, they wanted to know more lore of the air, who I could get data from, where I could find answers from. They, they were using the area, the lore pieces dropped around in the little neighborhood so they could pull stuff. Part of the uh, the challenge for me, and I, I've been working on this over the years, is that not to give too much of a lore dump. Again, like a mini dump. Someone comes up and says, okay, like the one person said, huh, it seems like it's a fairy, but it wears big iron shoes. So this fairy is not bothered by iron. What the hell do we do for that? I said, that's a good question. I looked over at the warlock. I said, you can make an arcana check. He makes an arcana check. I said, well, you've heard stories from... The Access Mundi Library, where you used to study, that they know that they've got more data on this if you really want to dive in. But you know that some Fey are only affected by silver or salt, um, if if not iron. Huh? Interesting. Okay, cool. So that's a piece of lore about Avalon. The fairies are ta- are um, affected by different things, and there's a place to go if I really want to dig deeper. So if this were a campaign. And I dealt with iron shoes and there's another problem. I go, look, this is getting fucked up weird. I need to go to the access money library and dive into this. That's what we know to be true. If I was running a campaign, I wanted them to go to that library because that's where the answers were, right? There'd be more clues driving them to that piece of setting lore that they'd have to interact with. So I, th- I think we have to be careful with one thing though, because mm-hmm. I think we are throwing lore around very, you know, nonchalant, kind of flippantly all over the place. Okay, And so I think, you know, some people are going to call us out and say, okay, great, I understand what you guys are getting at, but Mm -hmm. lore would be something that somebody's passing down word word of mouth generation to generation. Like, so for example, if my guys were walking around the world – and I guess what I'm trying to make clear is that the distinguished difference between here's kind of the world mm-hmm. and what you probably know from just living in it. Yes. As a player, I don't know. And then lore being the ain't the ring. 
Yeah, so think of lore being the cool setting stuff, the cool shit you've built. Right? Yes. So I'm in Ravenloft. Right. What's cool? What's cool about Ravenloft? Myths. Yeah, the vampires, castle. the right. castle. Strahd. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, right. G- give me and, a reason to interact with Strahd. Give me a reason. Yes, but one would. Co- I'm telling you, man. Somebody's gonna write in and go. But here's the deal: is that, and and f- for us, okay. So as a new player that gets transplanted into Ravenloft or Barovia, mm-hmm. then all of that lore comes to their knowledge. Because they've never been there. I guess that's ah, the difference, okay, right? Gotcha. Okay, I get so it. So if I am a, a local native, Strahd, the castle, uh, the Vistani, uh, the that's not lore to me because I live there. Lore to me would be, well, Strahd's parents, the lineage, there the, you go. Okay. The, the crazy okay. artifacts. So right? those are the, so those pieces, right? Yeah. So, in that case, or even like if I just take the United States and I say, well, I know for a, I know that there's like Library of Congress and that there's a lending system with libraries and blah, blah, blah. I know there's a library lending system. Okay, cool. Neat. It's a, it's a piece of intel about the world I live in. If I, as a game master, want you to interact with the library lending system, I need to give you a reason to do that. Right? Yes. And there's nothing in your character sheet. There's library use in Call of Cthulhu, who's like, make a library use role. Ah, yes, I should go to the library and request this book, right? But I need, if I want you to engage with a piece of my setting, or if I want you to dig into this piece of lore, and I want you to really see the setting as a real place, I have to look at that, from my perspective, as a place to mine data from. My character sheet doesn't. My I character totally, sheet just doesn't have all the yes. answers. That's what I'm getting at there. And I totally agree. And I, and I buy what you're selling too. That that absolutely makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. if it's, and it, it is kind of a, a bit of a line, and that's where I think you get to do the, okay, yes, your character does know that um, the elves of the forbidden of the elves of the forbidden forest have a strange connection with the dwarves. They seem to get along incredibly well. They hate the halflings, and. Um, they don't ever talk to humans. They like absolutely like just disappear. Like what's going on with that? I don't know. You know that, huh? Interesting. Okay, you know that is lore uh, as just a thing. Your characters would know. And I also and shit. I also but, think that that is like in those certain situations, it is a it is what I would consider and define as lore. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Yeah. For sure. But now, if I want you to engage with that, like you know that, but. Usually, the reason you're asking me that is because I'm trying to send you into the Forbidden Forest. Like, what do we know about the Elves of the Forbidden Forest? Well, you know this. Huh. We're a party of humans. That's weird. Should we go get a dwarf? Maybe we should get a dwarf to drag in there. Well, let's go talk to a dwarf. We know there's dwarves around here. and You just said the dwarves and the elves have a weird symbiotic relationship. Let's go talk to, you know, Horace and see what he's got to say. And you go talk to him. Ah, yes. Now you're engaging with the deeper components, you're engaging with the setting, some cool piece of something I've got out there. You know a bit of the lore, but you don't know the depth of it. You don't really understand how it functions. Now you're digging into it. Right. Sure. Why are you why are you doing that? Because I need to solve this problem. The problem is if I'm a human and I walk into the forbidden forest, the elves will not engage with me at all. They will just disappear, stay invisible, they won't speak to me. But after I talk to Horus, 
looks like if I go in there with a dwarf, I should be okay, right? Bizarre, fucked up, made up example. But anyway, I think that, hey, I, I just like the idea of, of using that stuff to solve to solve adventure pieces. Because we'll often we'll put, how do I do this? So you'll, you'll put an adventure together or a concept or whatever you want to call it and a campaign. And we'll talk about this like, hey, don't have, there's old some old school adventures that are notorious for like the the save or die, which some people like, and sometimes the save or no go further, right? And so far as like, I missed this check. And if you miss this, you never find this thing out. And there's nowhere else in the adventure officially that it ever states that you'll ever find this data. Right? And we can bemoan that or say we like it or whatever the case is. <clears throat> but when you're planning this stuff out, if you have these cool pieces of your setting, like for my Avalon's, for my Avalon setting, I will look at it and go, you know what? No one has been to the Forbidden City. There's a forbidden chunk within the city. I have not, I have, my players have not been interested in it. Oh, that's a shame. Well, it's a shame because I haven't made them interested in it. I want them to engage with the world. I want them to engage with the city. And I was thinking about this with my home group is that I've run a number of different Avalon games for my home crew, but I have not engaged them in a couple different aspects. It's a big goddamn city. They have not played as um, nobles, like wealthy magistrate types. They haven't played up there. They haven't dealt with that. So they really don't understand the high-level politics. They understand, they understand it's corrupt and whatnot, but they haven't lived it. So if I really want to display that, I have to make that part of the campaign in some way. If I really want them to dig further, and I did this when I first ran, I wanted them to really understand the liché and urban druids and other things. And I made that a part of the story. It became a critical thing to understand in order to move the plot along. So what I've learned is that when I, I have a piece of my world, I'm like, oh, no one's looking at the cool thing I made. It's really cool. Ah, oh, look at this. But they're over here in, in a dungeon trying to defeat the Sarak. Like, I, I get that. Don't fucking care. I'm fighting right here. I'm busy. You know, if that cool piece of setting dressing or or deeper lore isn't pertinent to what's going on wait for your next campaign type of thing you know what i'm saying but those components of your world that you have that you're like man i wish the players would care more about this cool thing i built wherever it is you have to find a way to make that a key feature of your campaign in some way shape or form there's lots of different methods of dribbling bits of information, dragging them over to the inverted library or taking them across space to this one little weird ass planet that you've, that you learned about in Star Wars that you think is the coolest fucking thing in the planet, in the world that no one's ever, that no one ever talks about. You gotta give them a reason to go there. And I know it sounds, it, it sounds very um, cliche in a way, but unless that's built into the campaign, like as a, this is the place you get the answer. Right. And I think we oftentimes don't want to do that because I don't want to have the fail or can't go forward scenario where I say, well, you need to go to the inverted library. Well, can I just make an arcana check? Well, um, uh, how come that's the only place, right? And there's an, there's an art to pointing out the fact that you should go there because that's where you're going to get the next plot coupon. We've talked about plot coupons and stuff. And I think that's... Um, like this, this kind of again, if, if the characters aren't the players, unless they're lore hungry, 
will not give a shit about some of the cool sh- stuff you've built because it doesn't matter to the game they're playing at the time. I think you're right, though. There's um, there's a difference between that cool stuff versus the things everybody knows. Yeah, and if you made the campaign tied into everything everybody knows, it'd be like, yeah, that's why I have a character. That's why I do have a character sheet because I need that character sheet to help me remember what everybody knows. Yeah, but the cool stuff, the wickedly difficult things, the esoteric, weird, archaic things—that's the stuff that you need to engage in the setting for. I get. Yeah, I get what you're saying there. I buy that. There you go. Cool, man. Anything else? No. Cool. So let us know what you think. I don't know if um, we could talk more about tactics around this, as I said earlier, um, about some of the um, listener feedback and stuff. I can talk about how I've tactically done certain things within campaigns. I know Sean can as well. Um, But I think it's just, it's one of those pieces that when I hear it, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, obviously that's it. And then I think about the worlds I've built and the places that I'm like, man, I really wish they would care about in Greyhawk. I'm like, man, I wish they would go here. This is such a cool place. Well, unless I give them a reason to go there, they're not going to go there. Right. You got to get you got to give them a reason. And sometimes it's as ma- it's a <clears throat> excuse me, it's a matter of um, uh, keeping it smaller, too. It can just be the local setting, the local town, whatever it is. If you really want to make sure that they talk to the blacksmith, make sure that multiple people tell them the blacksmith is the lady who knows all the stuff that they need, that they're going to go there. So, again, they're not going to do it unless they they they, they, they the character sheet can't solve everything. So use the use the local stuff. So anyway, that's enough on that. I'm hitting terminal repeat there. Shall we, sir? Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to share with you. First one. Why is that not coming up? That's awesome. Let's probably fix that. There we go. The first one I had is uh, Matt Colville's Engaging Your Players video. Threw that out there. And then I can also throw out my second one is the Epic, Epic Encounters by Steamforge Games. Got a link out there in the show notes to that too. But um, I just thought those, the Epic Epic Encounter, God, I cannot speak tonight. The epic encounters, I thought, are really well done. Not that expensive. You can pick them up on Amazon. A lot of different places. Your local game store, if, if they carry them, they just they. Um, so far, I'm really enjoying them. I think they're well. I think they're well made. So, totally worth looking into. Oh, it's fantastic, dude. I'll have to check those what, out. What else have you got there? Well, I put the play by post video <laughs> that me and Harry, Harrigan Harrigan and I. Not here, did mostly here again, but check that out. If you're interested in play by post, I'm kind of wanting to kick off a game. I don't know which one though, but that's that one. The other one is why isn't that showing up in a link? I don't hear. Here we go. Is Puricle, I the world of welcome to the world of Puricle. Have you heard of this, Brett? I have not. So I brought it up. This past Saturday, because if you look at the Kickstarter, you'll notice what they're attempting to do is remove the Game Master. It's been done. It has? By whom? Is there a Game Master in Fiasco? Well, I, I guess the traditional game, trad game. So removing the DM. That's not, a trad, that's not a trad game anymore then. 
What? What if? You, but what's the difference if you've got <laughs> a, a if you got a person doing it or an AI doing it? I'm, I'm being difficult. I'm being difficult. I, I so like, is, yeah. So the idea here is an AI. Is that the idea? Yeah. Well, oh. it's an app. It's an app that fe- it's. Look, somebody's going to go. Oh, it's just choose your own adventure game. But it's well, just dude, got yeah, an app. there are apps that help run Mansions of Madness. Um, yes. Some of the more complicated board games. The apps are. Yes. I've talked to people who played it, you know, by hand versus with the app. Like, oh my god, the app. Oh wow. It lets me play this incredibly complicated board game and not fuck it up. Yes. I could, I could see some value in that. I could totally see some value in that. Yeah. So Even if it, it doesn't have to be like your only RPG fix either. There's plenty of different things you could do with it. Neat. Yeah. So it's an, you know, an app and other things, right? There's <clears throat> maps, dice. So just imagine, I mean, Brett, so I was talking about this on Saturday during my live stream about game masters get the boot and you just get something like this you want to play just here just get this game and the app and whatever or get ai that's going to be ai will be the future of game mastering infinite choices infinite you know no bias the the, um one of the interesting things about rpgs in their largest form is you right. can do whatever you want that's right and there's no um there's no logic in the game system that says you can't go across those hills you can always go across the hills right so yeah. it's not a video game it's exactly. an ai that says yeah you can go across those hills and when you get across those hills i just keep going just keep asking me questions what do you want to do what do you want to do what do you want to do yeah interesting huh See where that goes. Yeah. So this ends. Uh, it's well funded. It's over April eighth of twenty twenty two. Yeah. Okay. So I thought it was interesting. And then the last one, I gave a plug to Thay Land of the Red Wizards is out by Mister Greenwood and Mister Cammer and Alan Patrick. Very cool. So an article from Geek Native telling you about the product, um, which might. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't know Forgotten Realms very well, but I don't know why this is like. It's you know just an adventure, you know, a, a DM's Guild product. Maybe it should be something that Watsy should have put out itself. I don't know. I don't know. I Watsy mean, Ed Greenwood not, wrote is part of the freaking deal. Yeah. Well, he sold he sold the realms off though, dude. But anyway, well, point fair. is, point is though is I I shouldn't say point is I think. That Watsy is not interested in um, settings like we remember from the old days. That I mean, it has like Sword Coast Adventures oh. Guide and some of that stuff. But let me ask you, not... Brett. I'm going to ask you, Brett. I'm going to ask for you. A, I'm going to ask you a question. Go for it. You've got a gift certificate to Wizards mm. of the Coast store. Okay. Okay. You can buy either Strixhaven. Or Thay, Land of the Red Wizards. Which would you pick? I don't know what's trick saving us. <laughs> so so, based on, I'm so based on I'm that, behind. is it just like that easy? I, well, I, I get, would if I had to buy one of those two, I I would um I'd find somebody who wanted it more than me. I don't want either <laughs> of those things. I I mean I'm not trying to be a dick about it, honestly. I just like, oh, okay. No, thank you. Oh. Well Yeah. I would have figured you being a Forgotten Realms guy would have been. I like the realms and all, but I, 
I like the um And maybe you don't so, need this because you already know this stuff. I don't know. Well, I know a bunch about the Red Wizards or enough that I need. I have enough <laughs> so to our topic, I have enough lore in it from within the, the books and things that I have that I can I can do the rest. I'm I'm good with it. Oh, excuse me. Okay. No, that's fair. That's just me. Or how about here you go. The the Thay Land of the Red Wizards, or mm. or what what was it called? Incorporated. Oh, then I go. Yeah, then a- a- acquisition incorporated. Acquisitions yeah, I incorporated. I don't care about acquisitions incorporated. Yeah, I'd, if I had to choose one, I'd take the Red Wizards book. Yeah. Yeah, and one is like endorsed and put out by Wizards, and well, I guess that's not true. That one is kind of a unique one. Yeah. Still put out by Wizards, though. It is. Yes. Interesting. Huh. Okay. All right. That, that's all we had for die roll. What are we talking about next week, Brett? Well, next week I want to have my vase in review. Next time when <gasps> we get together, I want to talk about about it. I've had uh, I'll have enough time to have given it a good run with my kids, and um, I actually think this will tie in kind of interesting to your play by post concept because after I talk about it with you and we talk about the mechanics and stuff, I'll be interested interested to see if you think Vasin would be a good play by post game for you. Because of how, when the characters move, chances to get um, different advantages and so forth, I think it might play very nicely into that kind of approach because it's a, I don't know, it just, it feels like it play. It, it would play there well. The only thing I would be worried about, and I don't know if it's Vason necessarily, but I can only, det- I can only go off of the fact that it's a freely publishing mm. product, is the, what Harrigan refers to as the transactions that go back and forth between player and G- GM and how that aligns with play by post. I know he's like also saying in the video, you could play whatever you need, you want you can yeah, be yeah. As crunchy and transactional as if you got pl- full engagement. Mm-hmm. But I think there is something to be said about the one role and then whatever happens where if it's like back and forth. And I think, so I, well, we'll talk about it. I don't think yeah. there's a lot. I think a lot of the, um, the cool pieces, and the other thing is that Vason is a, to me, a, just a poster example for the lore. You need to engage with the lore in order to figure out what's going on with the Vason itself, with the creature. Sure. You need to engage with it to sort it out. If you don't know what the neck is, you're never going to figure out how to solve this problem. Harrigan says it works well in play-by-post. I would assume it would. Yeah, it just it has that feel. So now I feel like I got to go buy this thing. It's a damn good book, man. I This is the only Kickstarter that, when it happened, I was not in a position to jump on the uh, the British Isles one that they did. I will get it, but that's the only Kickstarter that I'm like, oh, I, I sincerely regret having to miss that one. Because after reading the basic book, I'm like, yep, I should have followed my gut. Uh, well, I just didn't, I didn't have the funding at the time. Well, it is what it is, though. I really like the game. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's some uh, converts out there. Freaking yeah. Cammer's like, he's running a Mutineer Zero campaign right now, and he's yep. he runs Merkborg, One Shots, Vason, uh, well, Mutineer Zero, well, and he's run Forbidden Lands, and he runs Alien One Shots. Yep. Like, that guy's all like... I still love, I love d and I, I do. I, I think I always will. And some variation of it. I, I really enjoy it. 5 E's fun. First edition is my favorite. Blah, blah, blah. I like, I like playing it. But everyone's once like, I want to do something different. And Call of Cthulhu is a classic good horror game. I love playing that one too. Love running it. It's great. 
Basin is different enough and for my money really well put together just fun a fun approach something totally different i don't have another game in my arsenal that is like basin i could say things are similar to it i could run a cthulhu game i could use those basic role-playing rules i could mock up a basin but why would i why i wouldn't want to waste the time i i, I couldn't do it to justice they did it i don't believe you know i just don't think i could so anyway we'll talk about that next time yeah get into it looking forward to that one ladies and gentlemen (laughs) i think that's it for this episode i'm sean i'm brett good night and good game and all this episode of gaming and bs brought to you with help from the following bsers joe swick old school dm tony sugarloaf baker eric jeppesen andy hall chris Steele, remy billado jason hobbs mark tasaka merkel froelich pure mongrel brett pazinski brandon barnes eileen barnes dan lavalley cw mellencamp victor wyatt craig huber roger Braslett, stefan dragonspawn jared rasher finolf ray otis jim fitzpatrick old scoozer role-playing curtis takahashi larry howitt ron bishop mark richmond chad glayman craig howard bishop josh wallace Corey welch angus eric salzweedle george sedwick Robert Nemeth, Brian Kurtz, Laramie Wall, Erica Villa, Andy Olson, Jeff Seifert, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Niall Diamond, Aaron Relia, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Brian Rumble, Rich Wishon, David F. Balog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, H.N., Cole Cago, Eric Tavola, Hoos Carl, Yorkus Rex, Ghost GM, Mike Hess Jr., Rory Weston, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Phil McClory, Adam Grotejohn, Jay Plata, Ed Nyes, The Duke in Purple, Isaiah Aries Christian, Larry Hollis, Craig Shipman, Todd Sharp, Ork Gestorkis, Chris Shore, Michael O'Holland, Wayne Peacock, Mike Coleman, Kevin Keneally, Zagrave, Farty McButterpants, Andrew Lear, Craig Chunglo, Eric Lunsford, Ty Prunty, Feeling Good Lewis, Ziga Paradzik, Nick Westbrook, John Mahoney, Crystal Eggstead, Zalea, Zwiefer, Hypnocode, and Kelly Ness. Hey, you guys. I don't know if you are aware, but Sean streams on Saturday mornings. Yeah. Go to how to, that's the number two, rpg.com. That'll take you to his YouTube channel where Saturday mornings he streams live 8 a.m. Central Time U.S. for probably a couple hours where he goes through some news and updates and resources of the week as well as a main topic. Last week he talked a little bit about the black hack and how clever name Wayne came up with a one shot using some unique cards yeah it was fun and the chat's always active and really helps spur conversation so check it out head over to how the number two rpg.com and then I'll send you over to the YouTube channel make sure you subscribe and then you'll get notified when he goes live thanks for supporting the show everybody we appreciate it thanks BSers This This has has been been a Litterbox Litterbox Studio production. production.